Beginning next week, we're going to enter a new series simply called The Son of God, where I'm going to take you through the Gospel of Mark for as long as I'm still pastor of Bergen Park Church. We are getting ready for the transition of a new pastor. When I will be retiring. That'll be sometime, uh, hopefully, in the first half of 2017. Uh, this week is a great week as we're entering a new series to do some reflection. And if you've been alive and breathing and conscious, you know that we just went through one of the weirdest elections since I've been alive. And um, I, it's funny because I, I kept looking at what was going on in our election process, both primaries and the general election, presidential election, and I was reading through my one-year Bible, which for me is an eight-month Bible, so the last four months of the year I can mess around a bit in my quiet times. <laughs> so I get through it in about eight months, and right in the middle of the primary season, I mean, right at its height, when all the insults were going back and forth, I, I was saying, uh, Lord, is this the best we can do? I mean, I was succumbing to all the neg- nev- negative advertising, and, and I... I, I I, I was becoming like what I was seeing on television. Uh, there was just no advertisement, really, that was talking about the, the benefits or the, the character qualities of whoever was running. It was all negative. And the reason why there was so much is because it works. Well, I'm, I'm reading uh, in, at that time in the book of Daniel. And suddenly I'm making this connection that, believe it or not, the, the book of Daniel is giving me insights into what is going on in the world today. I mean, that's 3,000 years ago. So as I'm, I'm looking at that, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, well, how, how should I be connecting it? How, how does what's going on in our current culture uh, in some ways have parallels to what's going on in the days of Babylon? And when... Daniel was exiled to Babylon and then later to Persia. And, and he comes into a culture of, of all foreigners, more than that, of huge empires that worship foreign gods. And uh, as far as Daniel knew, he and uh, his three compatriots, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and maybe some small colonies of Jews, were the only ones in the empire who were worshiping Yahweh at the time. And they found that their faith in their God shaped the character that they demonstrated to the culture around them. More than that, their character shapes the morality that they, that they display, and that morality is the basis of their major decisions of life. In our election cycle, do you realize that it's been reported that Bible-believing candidates voted 75% to 25% for the candidate who has, who has been proven to be sexually immoral, taking advantage of every tax and building code that he could, uh, and more than that, refused to publish his own tax records. He made campaign promises that he's continuing to revise and not quite explain how, but then he'll be able to say, see, I told you so. And he mocked his opponents, often crossing the line of truthfulness. And we voted for him anyway. Now, so did I. All right? So did I. 
And yet I know many Christians who go, yes, but I'm not proud of it. I know many who said, well, it was the best of, you know, of two evils, etc., etc. Have you ever felt that you're now in a culture where being good and helping others and not seeking attention to yourself and expecting others to do the same, that these values just don't pay off anymore? They don't get you ahead. Do you you ever sense that you're in a current culture where your faith isolates you, both at your work and in your social relationships? Uh, Do you ever feel that you are confused, that, that spiritually and morally our nation is to be, deserves, you might say, to be flushed down God's toilet? Do you ever sense that immoral people are getting ahead? With no accountability, no justice. We've been through scandals in the IRS. We've been through scandals in the Veterans Administration. We've been through a a season of time where it appeared to be that both, uh, uh, I mean, people hated cops. Simple as that. And suddenly I realized that, you know, if you read, and, and even if you take time this week to read just parts of Daniel, like the first nine, ten chapters, and, and then read es- Esther. You're going to understand that as isolated as you may feel, as uh, as alone maybe in your social context, in your work context, as you may feel as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, that like Daniel and like Esther, you can thrive in Babylon. Now, when I say thrive, I'm going to be talking about how Daniel should live and therefore how I should live in a culture that is growing less and less Christian. Now, if you're wondering how can I, uh, I uh, or not how, but why does God do this? Why, why does it seem like evil people get ahead and the good people don't? Read Psalm 73 and listen to Gary McNally's sermon on that. It was about a year ago, I think. And he does a great job as to the why. But we're going to talk about how. And if you want to thrive in Babylon, if you want to understand that uh, you need a new perspective so that you're not always whining, but instead you're learning how to be a person of deeper influence in a secular culture, then here is what we have for you. An understanding, first of all, that there's a heavenly perspective saying that our adversity is probably also God's activity. What we may be going through may be one of the great ways in which God wishes to work. Now, I want to be careful here. Some of you are going through messes and health issues and financial issues where I am not trying to be cavalier about the depth of what you're suffering. Please, don't take me that far. But I also want you to know That in the midst of everything that we are facing, there may be great opportunity and God is at work. It says this in Daniel chapter 1 verse 2. It begins really this way. And the Lord, see that word? The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put, uh, and put them in the treasures of his God. 
So all these things that were set apart and called holy and only for the worship of the Lord God, these now are captured, taken away along with the best and the brightest of the country, taken first to Babylon and then eventually uh, to Persia, and, and there they're employed there. And as you read that, you've you got to understand that the heavenly perspective is it was not an Assyrian victory. Now, in history, we would read about the battle. In history, we would be, you know, they would explain it that the Assyrian army over, overpowered the armies of Jerusalem. But this says it was really the removal of God's protection over his chosen people. And God even allowed the, the very special, the holy implements of his temple to be taken and stored into the temples of Babylon. Now, if you are a Jew, you're asking, how could God let such a pagan king take control? And God's answer would be this. I control who is in control. I control who is in control. With Daniel and other Jews now in exile, the top positions of government will soon acknowledge God and be humbled by God. What do I mean? Isaiah says this, that the kingdoms of the earth are like drops in a bucket compared to God. Solomon says this in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hands of the Lord and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. And yet those like Nebuchadnezzar and Darius and Xerxes and Artaxerxes, all who sort of ruled in the days of Daniel, they would say, I'm a god. I'm a king. I am the one who has absolute authority. And they never get the fact that there's a heavenly perspective where God says, I'm holding you on a long leash, and when I yank it, man, will you be done. And this we know happens, that even Nebuchadnezzar, as as uh, powerful as he thought he was, he would be deposed, he would be declared insane, and eventually he would write a decree that would honor the God of heaven himself. God controls who is in control. The theological term for this is sovereignty. It's four or five syllables, depending how you spell it. Sovereignty. He is in charge of the righteous. But he's also in charge of the unrighteous, even though they think they have independence from God. He's in in charge of the, the powerful and the powerless, the rich and the poor. And you can be certain that our God will always work for our good long term and for his glory. But tell that to Daniel as he's walking maybe in chains to Babylon. Tell that to Daniel as he enters a training period of three years, sort of like going for a master's degree, a training period of three years in the king's service. He enters a pagan society that has pagan values, pagan culture, and pagan worship. They worship false gods who aren't gods at all. And so he's sitting, you might say, in this training period, And the idea of this training period is he would become enculturated. He would learn all the wisdom of Babylon. He would become a part of the worship style. He would worship their gods. He would understand their government because he would be put into government and work under Nebuchadnezzar. Well, we don't live in a pagan society today, as I'm drawing these connections. But we live in a secular one. 
Our culture believes in the, in the secular values of Jesus, but they don't want to give credit to Jesus, just like Romans 1 says. They, they love the creation, but they refuse to worship the creator who made it. It's the same with the value system. Whatever you do, don't mention Jesus. Along comes Daniel. He's in, you you might say, captivity. But in his captivity, God is giving him what I call weaponry to fight and to win for God. And so we cannot escape that our secular society, uh, within it, we want to bring, bring honor to God... Uh, within those who are secular around us. So understand that God has given us weapons to deal with a continually growing secular society. Now, when I use the word secular, uh, I'm going to explain a little later, it doesn't mean that the church is powerless. In fact, the weapons you have make you, maybe make you more powerful than you've ever been before. And so this is how this, this progress of Daniel uh, occurs so that he rises, much like Joseph in, in the book of Genesis, to the very top positions of government. Now, first of all, Daniel, because of the way he lives, the choices he makes, the excellence of his life, now is rising to the top even, at the, you know, even in this training session. It says, now, God had caused, notice God had done it, had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. You see, he's gone into this training period where he is offered every advantage, including sitting at the training table. Imagine sitting at the training table of Nebuchadnezzar, who is a bad dude. He's offered everything. Wherever Daniel turns, there's bacon. There's bacon-wrapped asparagus. There's bacon-wrapped bacon. There's shrimp. There's lobster. Uh, there's hollandaise sauce. There's Kobe beef. Uh, there is aged whiskey. There is eggnog. All these things that should kill him. Uh, there's Cuban cigars, though they hadn't invented Cuba yet. All of this is out there. And they're saying, take as much as you want. So how did you know somebody was in government? Please, this is not a connection. They were very, very fat. But more than that, they wore great clothes. And as they walked around, you were supposed to know these are very important people. And Daniel comes along and he says, he's not concerned that this might kill him medically. But he's not going to allow it to touch him spiritually. So... The God of the Jews has a strict dietary code. We have total freedom. But Daniel resolves in his heart that he's not going to break this code, no matter what it cost him. So it's not the resolve that he has, but how he handles himself so that he can find a secular or a pagan's favor in the midst of his strict decisions. He proposes a test. He goes and he says to his leader, who is, uh, you know, from Babylon, he says, I want to try a simpler diet for 10 days. And I want that to be followed by an evaluation where you look at me and you say how it's gone. So the supervisor knows that if Daniel fails, he fails. And if the super know, the supervisor also knows that if he fails, It's off with his head. So he has a lot at stake in Daniel's experiment. 
But he, he takes this experiment. He gives them permission to try it for 10 days. And the supervisor finds out they turn out better than all the others. The thing I find about all this rich food is it makes me very sluggish. Now, spinach makes me wince, okay? But all this rich food really makes me sluggish. And at the end of this test, Daniel, Meshach, Abednego, uh, uh, whoever the fourth one is, Meshach and Abednego, okay. At the end of this time, they're doing better than all the others. Friends, do you want to know how you influence without exerting authority over others? Isn't that what it's all about in our world? If it is as secular as we believe it is, how do we bring deep influence without telling them this is the way it must be done? Do you know how to present your ideas so that even those who have much to lose can share in the victory if your idea works? That's his first weapon. He finds favor in the way he conducts himself. He does it again. It says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, Now Daniel distinguished himself among the administrators. What had happened is the the, the king, now now a different king, had set up all this huge governmental system, and he allowed uh, he, he he appointed princes over certain regions. But Daniel was so good over his region that he kept rising to the top. And pretty soon it says the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He would be over the princes and the governors. That's how good he was. His leadership causes his reputation to rise even among the pagans. And you can be sure the pagans want his job. So the king himself plans to make him like Joseph and promote him to the very top. And it's a matter of his character and his devotion to excellence that move him forward. Let me infuse a little realism here. I would say that if Daniel was to take all the tests that got us in and out of college, that he would be considered a one percenter. By both his nature and his nurture growing up, he is special. And he never lets down. Now, I'm going to compare me. You've never seen a picture of Daniel, but I'm much better looking than Daniel. But I'm not a one percenter. People have told me I'm a 15 percenter. I'm heading for 18, okay? No, I'm heading for 12, sorry. I'm going the right way. I I just want to be a 12 percenter or maybe a 10 percenter. But I realize that, you know, that doesn't mean that I can't have the devotion of Daniel or the commitment to excellence that Daniel has. It may not show itself in the same way. I also realize that I'm in a church where many people are five percenters. I'm not the smartest person in the room every time. In fact, I'm often not the smartest person in the room. And yet in the midst of that, understand that that doesn't stop my commitment to find favor even amidst opposition by the way I conduct myself, my character, and my work even as a 15 percenter can earn respect. So as Daniel keeps rising by his talent and his character, you need to understand that no matter what percentile you may be in, do those around you know that you give great effort? Do they trust your character? And your effort. That wins favor both in God's eyes, 
but also in front of men who maybe don't share your faith. The the second thing about Daniel is he had a steadfastness of his faith. It wasn't just his character, but it was his faith. In Daniel 6, he's in another situation that ends him up in the lion's den, okay? Now, it says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, and I'll explain the decree in just a minute, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened to Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before the decree was signed. When you are good at what you do, expect opposition by those who are not earning the same reputation. Let's face it, they want your job. And they will not, or they won't worry as much about how they get it, maybe as you do. So the other governmental leaders who are jealous, who are envious of how Daniel is rising to the top as a foreigner, they deceive the king to sign a decree saying that for 30 days, people can only pray to the king. Now as a king, I mean, if I were a king, that would be quite flattering. Where's, I'll sign that. Come on, give, give me that decree. I would like that. Okay, for the next 30 days, everybody, as you pray, you mention my name. Because I am the one who answers your prayers. What a doofus. But he's also got an ego and he loves it. And Daniel says no. So three times a day, he quietly retreats to his home, goes to the upstairs room so that maybe people won't see him. He opens to the windows that face Jerusalem, and he prays, says, giving thanks to God. Here I am in captivity. He gives thanks to God. Have you ever been in a situation where the majority have a great idea, but it crosses ethical lines, and they ask, what do you think? Have you ever been in a situation where it just seems like everybody seems to be moving in this direction, but you're not sure, not just it's the best way, or but you may be thinking it may not be the right way? Uh, one of the, in fact, I've had two situations, but one man mentioned that in his company, uh, he was working with a marketing team that wanted to sell the product uh, that, that was being produced, and, and this team thought of a great a great marketing campaign. The problem was is it made the product way better than it actually was. And it made promises about the product that everybody knew could not be delivered. And he had to make a stand. And he says, guys, as as your leader, I think we need to find something that's going to create long-lasting customers, people who will be with us for a lifetime. Instead, this will help people maybe for a month. And they find out we can't deliver. They're going to drop us. Nobody else thought of that. They were thinking of the now. For Daniel, it means his co-workers betray him. He has a death sentence that's given to him. And a death sentence to be thrown into a lion's den that only God can commute. We'll get to that in just a bit. A third thing that you find about Daniel is he's spiritually real. It says this in chapter 9, again, another situation where it just reports that Daniel sits before God and he prays. 
And that whole prayer talks about the realism of uh, Jerusalem, of the Jews, and of himself. And he says this is a summary statement. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, kept the laws that he gave us, and number three, nor have we obeyed the prophets and what they told us. Spiritual realism for Daniel means that he confesses that Israel is getting what it deserves. And Daniel is getting what he deserves. Israel has disobeyed God's laws, disobeyed God, and disobeyed God's prophets. So if God really controls who is in control, then the fate of his nation and Daniel's own fate are really in the hands of God. God was behind this. Do you realize the difference between whining about the United States and its government and confessing to God about it? You give me any three old men, and I'm one of them, and we can sit over coffee and tell you everything that's wrong with the United States of America. And I've done it, and I'm good. I'm an, I'm an expert. Just give me 10 minutes. Or I can listen to two other people for 10 minutes each. It, it, it's, you know, we, we have the, the privilege of knowing, hey, we're right. But we're not doing anybody any good. Daniel does not whine, but he confesses to God. Do you know that it's being reported that the church is declining uh, in current surveys, so that it's becoming far more of a secular nation than than, than a spiritual one. When you really you, you you mine the data, what you're finding is that the Bible teaching churches are actually you know surging in in some ways. They, they are growing, but it's those that have left God's word th- that are declining, and it's becoming quite dramatic. So the nation is becoming more secular. Pray for your nation. And as you pray, confess the sins of your nation and confess your sins. You see, it's not just government. It's my government. It's not just my co-laborers. These are my friends. These are my neighbors. And I find that as I confess my sins, I... I'm far more aware and able to deal with other sins that I find way too easy to find. Way too easy to recognize. I am not morally superior to anyone. Now these next two may be sort of foreign to you. I hope not. But God's weapons also are very supernatural not just character issues. God's weapons, the next one is the intervention where God steps in and he does what should not be done. And because of that, people turn to him. In Daniel 6, he is in, you know, he has been enthroned into the lion's den. The, the king can't sleep all night. He finally comes into the morning and he says, Daniel, you know, has the God whom you worship saved? You know, he goes through this. And Daniel's answer is, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. 
nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. I realize that most of us will have not experienced real miracles. But Daniel does, and his three friends do also, thrown into a furnace because they refused to bow down to the image the king had made. And they survive without ever, you know, in that furnace without even singeing their eyebrows. Daniel is thrown into the den's lion, a lion of, den of lions. And they don't even come up and lick him to see if he's salty. He just stays there, okay? And, and, and they don't attack him. And yet, as soon as he's taken out, his opponents are thrown in and they're eaten immediately. God intervenes. God intervenes. The first intervention he wants to make in your life is that you come from a season of not trusting in Jesus Christ as God's son to trusting in Jesus Christ. And his Holy Spirit is working in you for that intervention. You would say, well, I had a change of heart. Yeah, and God changed it. He's intervening in your lives and change is coming about. That's the first thing he wants to do. But when God does intervene, friends, take notice, give thanks, follow through so that he will know he has a child who really wants to honor him in in life. Uh, The the second thing that is really supernatural is, is the supernatural gifts that God gives to Daniel. Now, I have different gifts that seem quite natural, but here's, here's Daniel. He had a special gift that could be used for God, for God's glory. Uh, Daniel has the ability to, in, in dreams, see visions and God speaks to him in visions. Secondly, he's able to interpret the dreams of others and especially at least two kings. Wow, that's very powerful. And yet Daniel, each time he tells it like it is. In our secular society, we worship power more than we worship the all-powerful God. And so, like Daniel, God provides opportunities to show his work that really no humans can explain. Do you know your spiritual gifts? It may not be to interpret dreams, to see visions. It's not mine. But I believe that God gives us spiritual gifts To build up the body of Christ, scripture says that. But I think he also gives spiritual gifts to influence the world that we have been put into. So that the world might turn to Jesus Christ. I have the gift of pastor teacher. I think that's the prominent one in me. And many of you have said, Jim, you know when we're in a conversation together... You listen to me, but you always say, why don't you try reading this chapter or this verse or this book? And it's not what I say, but but take take it from the Bible yourself. And as you read it, let's come and talk about what you learned as you read it for yourself. That's the teacher in me. I believe that I can stand up here and tell you everything I know. Well, that would be about 15 minutes ago I'd be done. But I can open up God's word and instruct you from what he has for you. More than that, I believe you can do it yourselves. But now the pastor part of me. So many of you know I'm recovering from a bout of oral cancer and it 
It required that I had um, tongue surgery followed by uh, 30 radiation treatments. And in those radiation treatments, people were calling to say, can I give you a ride to the, to the doctor? And it was wonderful. Several came from the church, but several, I don't know how they found out, um, were just friends in the community. Well, understand when I call these friends in the community who aren't known as Christians, um, when I call them and I say, let's have lunch together, they say, yeah, how about in three months? But when I have a need, they say, oh, I want to help Jim. They've got good values. So I'll, I'll drive Jim back and forth. It takes an hour. And there's no food. And we don't listen to talk radio. We just talk to each other. Half an hour down, half an hour back. So one of these friends uh, is uh, driving me, and uh, we're having a good time. And he's a wonderful storyteller. And... Uh, just before you know, before we get to Lutheran Hospital, I, 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 I'm thinking, you know, God, I've been wanting more time with these people forever. This might be an opportunity that you've given me because of my cancer. So um, I just, in that first session we had together driving to the hospital, I say, w- would you say that you're anti-Christian or anti-church? He has no problem. And he starts telling all these stories of his rural church on a ranch in um, northeastern New Mexico and all of the hellfire sermons, all of the legalism, all of the finger shaking, all of the guilt. And he just goes on and on and on. Now the pastor in me needs to come out. So we're, we're driving back, and he wants to tell more stories, and he's really a good storyteller. I could be enwrapped in him. But before we leave, before he drops me off, I, uh, I don't remember my exact words, but they went something like this. You know, you need to be careful not to let a bad church experience keep you from the joy of an authentic relationship with God. That wasn't my exact words. Because when I said it, I got out of the car and I said, boy, I need to remember that. I immediately forgot it. <laughs> but I, again, do not let a bad church experience keep you from the joy of an authentic relationship with God. That's the pastor in me. And then I said, let's do this again real soon. And I won't, you know, not because I have cancer, but because I'd love to have time with you. And then... Now when I meet him in the market, see him in the community, I'll say, are we ready to get together again? He goes, no, no, not at all. I said, okay, no rush, no rush. Your spiritual gifts are God's weapons. Listen to that. Your spiritual gifts are God's weapons. Yes, to build up the body of Christ, but also, like Daniel, To bring a secular society to its knees. Let's pray. To its knees, Father. We are called, Father, to pray for our secular nation. We're called to confess its sins. We are not perfect. 
and also to confess our sins and to bring our secular society to its knees like Nebuchadnezzar, like Darius, like Xerxes, one by one through the ways that you have equipped us. Like Daniel, may we all stand out as living examples of transformed lives. All. And through those transformed lives, may those who remain secular hunger for more from us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen.